Good morning. Pastor Rob, welcome to our 1030 service. I'm starting a new series as that uh, video outlined on your bulletin as well. It says, None Like Him. And it is a series, uh, depends on how long you've been in church, if you've heard this kind of thing before, um, on the character of God, really, on the character of God. But I want to give a little credit before I dive in. A couple books that I read and would recommend to you if you are interested in taking these ideas further. One is where I got the title of this series or borrowed it from a book that's only written recently, a year or two ago, titled None Like Him by Jen Wilkin, uh, a woman who's a uh, teaching uh, uh, pastor of sorts down in Texas. And, and then a book that's really a classic. Um, some of you may have read it. It's... I think it was originally written in the 70s and, and rebooted in the 90s. But I would say this as a pastor, if I had to only recommend one book, right, of hundreds, I suppose, um, that I think would help anybody, whether you're a new Christian or a longtime believer, to deepen your relationship and understanding of who God is, it would be this one, be the top of my list, J.I. Packer's Knowing God. So I just want to mention those to you. We'll make talk about them as time goes on. This is an eight-week study, and essentially, it's a worship series. Now, why do a worship series? What's the point? And I would say this. This is my premise, and maybe I'll scratch at this today, and maybe you'll have to walk with me over these eight weeks. But I would say this. The reason I think this is worth doing is I would say that the problem below most of our problems, right, is faulty worship. Now, I might think, well, that, I don't get that at all. But I would say this, that if you, if you struggle with satisfaction in your work, uh, men and women in this room, I would suggest to you that that's partly a worship problem. If you have struggles in significant relationships and finding satisfaction and meaning in significant relationships, marriage, parenting, whatever the case may be, I would suggest to you that it's a faulty worship problem. If you struggle in just the idea of, you know, whether you're 17 or you're, you know, 57 or 77 and saying, I, my life doesn't seem to have amounted to what I thought it was going to be. It doesn't seem to mean what I thought it would be. It doesn't seem to matter. I would suggest to you that this is a worship problem. Now, you might say, well, I'm very skeptical in that uh, premise. Well, give me some time. But let me say this. The reason is this. Why do I believe that? This is the premise of everything that I'm going to say in these weeks, is that I think that we are doing things uh, as you know, men and women, students in this room, Christians and non-Christians. This applies both ways. I think we're doing things with our life that we were never intended to do. Okay, And when we do things that we were never intended to do, we're not talking about one thing here or one thing there. I'm talking about the way that we live right? We're going to have a level of dissatisfaction. I think we worry about things, right? A lot of what we do is what goes on here, right? I think we, we worry about things that we are not supposed to be, we were not to, we're not to be worried about, and I would say in both cases, they, these things, we're not designed this way. These things don't fit our design. It's kind of like this is a, a metaphor for what it's worth that came to mind. If you've ever seen a, a house mover 
in process. I know we have one here. I don't know if Pete Matthews is here. But if you've ever seen this happen, I mean when somebody's moving a house or a building, you know, from one location, maybe an historic house, and they're packing it up and they're moving it, this happens. And if you've ever seen one of those, it's kind of an interesting sight. You know, it's like everyone has to move off the road, and there's this big house or building literally on some kind of, you know, uh, um, you know a mechanism, and it's, it's flat, you know, it's lifted off the foundation, and it's moving, it's, it's moving along, it's being pulled by a truck that is, you know, a, a hundredth of its size or, or a tenth of its size, and it's typically going about five miles an hour, right? And you're, you're watching it, you know, it's, just, it's this interesting phenomenon. And, and when I thought about this, I would say in many ways, that's really what uh, is a good metaphor for how some of us are living our lives. In reality... Stick with that image for a minute. That big house is God, okay? But God is supposed to be pulling you, right? And until you get that right, until I get that right, your life will never make sense, right? And the title of this sermon by introduction of this series is The God of No Limits. See, the truth is this. Whether you're a superstar, a highly successful person in this room, then you, you're, you, you, you can make a differentiation between you and me and you and the person sitting next to you. But when it comes to God, we are defined by our limits, right? I don't have a few limits. My life is defined by limits, right? Every one of them, including someday I will cease to exist in this life, right? We're all going to die. It's part of life. We are defined by limits. God, if I believe the Bible, has, you ready for it? None. Think about that. None. And in this sense, right, although we are made in the image of God and we reflect his character and that's true in some degree, in this sense, we are nothing like God. Nothing. There is none like him. He's not kind of like me. He's not kind of like my grandmother. He's not kind of like Mother Teresa. He's not kind of like Billy Graham. He is absolutely, categorically nothing like you and me at all. Okay? Not at all. Let me see. That's kind of a downer. No, it's not. Stay tuned. Okay? Stay tuned. Isaiah chapter 40. The God of no limits. Let's read it. Verses... Um, 25 to 31 by introduction. Isaiah 40, 25 to 31. This is the Lord speaking to the nation of Israel 700 years before Jesus. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all of these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Put your name in there if you want. Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk 
and not faint. Isaiah chapter 40 is one of the ten probably most important, significant chapters in all of the Bible. Can't get into all of that, but historically the reason is this. That the people of God, it's a big book, 66 chapters, and it's, it covers a great moment of history when the people of God, the, 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 the Israelites, were thrown into exile. In other words, everything God had promised them, right? All the beauties, all the promises, all the joy, all the milk, all the honey, all the, you know, the voice of bride and bridegroom, all the good things in life came to an end. And they were taken out of the promised land and they were brought into another country, in this case Babylon, and it was as if the story was over. Many of you know this story. And the first 39 chapters of Isaiah talk about this and most of them is about judgment. But here's the underlying idea. The primary reason underneath all of the failures of the nation of Israel that threw them in exile was a fundamentally a worship failure. And when they come back in Isaiah 40, it's this beautiful Jesus quotes that I can't read it, the verses we didn't read. You know, it talks about historically it's calling the people of God from Babylon back to Jerusalem. And they use this, and the herald comes out like the Pony Express. It says, and a voice came out crying in the wilderness saying, listen, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain shall be made low, and a highway will be met so that the people of God who have been exiled can come back right through the Arabian desert to their city of Jerusalem. It was a calling back. Jesus evokes those very same words. John the Baptist, a voice crying in the wilderness um, the, the, here comes your Lord, here comes your Savior, right? But after that great moment, okay, Isaiah 40, it's a, it's a fulcrum, it's a watershed in the history of Israel, then where we pick up the story here in these verses, the very first thing the Lord does to the nation of Israel is he needs to reintroduce himself. It's almost like the whole nation had amnesia about who God was. He said, I, if we're ever going to get this right... You guys need to start to understand me for who I am. I'm not like you. I'm not a stronger version of you. I'm not a taller version of you. I'm not a more smarter version of you. I'm not a better looking version of you. I'm nothing like you. I have absolutely no limits. And until you get that right, you and I will never, you'll never experience life as you're meant to be. First thing he says by way of introduction, God is incomparable, right? Verse 25. To say anything is like him, is to explain the unlimited in limited terms. God is not the son. God is not the king. As I said, God is not Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. He's nothing like them. But the only, the closest thing that we have, of course, is what? Jesus. Yes, of course, Jesus. But let me say something about Jesus. Of course, he is the express image of God. He helps. I'm so glad. Can you imagine Living through the Old Testament era, the difference between how we know God today and how we know, we have a living, breathing, walking, talking, the image of God. But keep in mind, we can only know him to the degree that our senses, our understanding, our intelligence can receive what he's giving, right? So is there more to know about God than what we know about Jesus? I think so, yes, Right? The eye is not seen, the ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. C.S. Lewis, in great, I think it was in Mere Christianity, said, listen, you got five senses now? The, Jesus, the body that Jesus rose from the dead for? He might have had a hundred for all we know. Okay? So do we know there everything there is to know about God? No, we don't. 
No, we don't. And some people say this to me. They say, listen, Rob, pastor, Christians, non-Christians, I feel closest to God when I'm um, in creation. When I'm out there in the mountains, when I'm out there on the oceans, you know, I'm kind of one of those people. I think a lot of us are. And, and, I, and I would say this for two reasons we feel that, because here's what we see in nature, in some beautiful parts of nature. We see two things. We see beauty. I mean, even that the greatest, you know, person or artwork, I mean, there's something about parts of nature that are absolutely inspire awe, and we also see power, right, in certain parts of nature. I mean, it's an, un, uh, an, uh, an unbelievable, indescribable kind of power. We see both of those things there, and I would agree with you, but here's the thing. You can't stop there, right? Because when you do, you're confusing the, 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 the work for the master. It's almost like, you know, I, I have some of you, probably many in this room, I, I had the opportunity to see uh, years ago the Mona Lisa, which sure many of you have, in, in the Louvre in France. Not actually a very big painting. But it's fascinating. After all these years of hearing about the Mona Lisa, to see the Mona Lisa, let me tell you something. I'm an average intelligence guy, but I can tell you this. I knew next to nothing about Leonardo da Vinci by standing there and looking real intelligent, you know, and staring at the Mona Lisa, right? It didn't tell me very much about him. Same goes with, with God, right? As impressive as the stars are, verse 26. Why does he use this, use this illustration? As impressive, listen, this was written 3,000 years ago, and guess what? We're still fascinated by the stars. Think about it. Think, we've always been fascinated. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created these? Who brings out the starry host one by one and calls each of them by name? Listen, as impressive as they are, and they are impressive, they're just one of, the other, they're just one of many things that God created. It's the Mona Lisa. That's all it is. Not only that, though, it's not just about his power, it's about his intelligence. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Wait a minute. Not one of them is missing. He knows them all by name, right? Verse 26. I was corrected last service by some scientist. You got to be... <laughs> You know, because I said this, there's, according to, uh, you know, uh, Google, right, you know, according to, uh, you know, uh, smart people, uh, there's a hundred billion stars in the Milky Way, okay, hundred billion. I said there was a hundred billion bars total, and he said, so, not, thanks, Pastor, not bad for a non-scientist, but uh, there's a hundred billion stars in our galaxy. There's, this is what he said, 70, how would they ever know, but trillion stars in all of the galaxies, some, some crazy number, right? So what's he saying here? It's also about intelligence. And guess what? God does not forget their names, and God, unlike you or me, does not need a clever way, you know, of remembering their names, right? I grew up in a family with six kids. And I was the youngest, am the youngest, and four boys, right? I can still hear my mother, six kids. When she wanted to get something or do something, she would go, uh, 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 Tom, Mark, Joe, Rob, whatever your name is, kid, go get this, right? God doesn't have that problem, okay? God doesn't have that. That's what he's trying to say. Look at uh, one other verse, Job uh, chapter 11, or listen, similar story, Job, if you know the story. Job's learning 
um, things about God he thought he, he thought he, he had God in a box and, and God opens the box. Verse 7, words to Job of chapter 11. Can you fathom the mysteries of God? Can you probe the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than the heavens above. Watch this. What can you do? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is not much. They are deeper than the depths below. What can you know? Not much. Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. And this really gets to the issue. Their measure is longer than the earth and wider than the sea. This is really where the rubber meets the road for us. Because I would say this to you, that many of us, this is a human nature thing, but maybe it's an American thing too. Many of us are, have problems with control, okay? Right? Every husband's going like that. I don't know, maybe, maybe not. Maybe every wife. But the point is, every one of us have issues with control. We think... Right? We're so sophisticated. We can control, you know, everything from the weather to the feelings of the people that uh, we live with. Uh, but here's the issue. That can, and here's what we do. We, we do this with God. That which we can measure, we think we can control. Right? That's the nature of life. And we're doing it all the time in all kinds of ways. And see, we do it with God. And so we fashioned a God, you might, not see, you might never say this out loud or write it down on a piece of paper, but this is really what's being challenged here in this passage and I'm challenging you and me with. We fashioned a God who is only so smart, who is only so loving, and only so strong. See, only that which I can measure, I can control. And then we fashion him, and then that's the limits that we live in, right? This is, by the way, the meaning of the second commandment. You shall have no graven image. That wasn't about false gods. That was about worshiping the true God in a limited way, right? Who shall you compare me to? God is incomparable. God is incomparable. Second point to the heart of this passage. God does not share our limitations, okay? God doesn't share our, and this is why we have such a faulty view of God. Verse 27. Put your name in this. God does not share our limitations. None of them Right? He doesn't get tired, verse 28. He doesn't get weary. Well, I do. I got a limit, you know. Tom, Mark, Joe, whatever your name is, kid, you know. I got limits. You got limits. Right? You're tired by 2 in the afternoon. You're frustrated by 4 in the afternoon. You're, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. And, you, and see, what we think is God's just a super version of us. Right? But he's nothing like you. In this way, nothing like me. Why do you complain, Rob? Why do you say, uh, Joe, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by God. Isn't that something? Nothing's changed in 3,000 years. Most people I talk to, Christian or not, they say, listen, my way is hidden from the Lord. In other words, God really doesn't know what's going on in my life. That's what they're saying. And, second half of that verse, he really doesn't care. Now, the only reason, why would God not uh, know what's going on in my life and why doesn't he care? There's only one reason. Because he's too busy. He's got more important places to be and more important people to see. That seems so, that seems so um, adult for me to say. I, I've talked to people all the time, mature Christians. You know, God's got better things to do. And it's as if we're doing God a favor. But guys, listen, that's not what we're doing. 
We're worshiping a false god. We're doing the opposite of what we think we're doing. We're not being nice to God. We're saying, God, I'm the um, truck and I'm pulling you, right? That's what we're saying. Why does God disregard me? My way is hidden from the Lord. There's a great story. It's in Genesis 16. Uh, the story of, of Abraham and, and Sarah, they wanted to have a child. Many of you know this story. It's, it's repeated throughout the, the scriptures, really. A lot of barrenness in the Bible. It's a metaphor. It's a teaching. It's, it's something that we need to learn about life. It's really what this message is about in some ways. And, 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 and they can't have a child, even though God had promised them a child, right? And they're frustrated, and they think they're going to take things into their own. God, we're going to help you out because, see, you're a lot like us. We're going, to, we're going to bring you down. We're going to help measure this. We're going to figure it out. We are going to. You told us that we're going to have a child. Now we're going to make it happen, right? So as Sarah is so frustrated with this long wait, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. For this long wait, she says, listen, why don't you take my Egyptian slave, Hagar, and you can, you know, let's help God out. And you can have uh, 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 relations with her. She can become a second wife and we'll have a kid. And that's exactly what they do. And she gets pregnant, right? This is what happens to us. And we think, mission accomplished. Guess what? Uh, Hagar and, and Sarah become kind of, a, uh, it's not a very happy experience. Anybody here got two wives in the room? Okay, you know. It's not a very happy experience. It doesn't work out so well for Sarah and she despises this woman, and then she does. Now, uh, guys, uh, you know, raise your hand if you've ever had one of these, you know, or could go both ways. Your wife says, I got this great idea. You do it. Then you do it. She blames you because it doesn't work out so well. Okay. That's what happens here, right? She goes, Abraham, this was a really bad idea, and you need to get rid of that woman. And Abraham says, okay, you know, go for it. So she sends her away. And she's, she just, here's this single mom. She hasn't had a baby yet. She's pregnant. Can you imagine that? Uh, I know that we had someone standing here who was pregnant a minute ago. Can you imagine? Uh, uh, you go, bye. You're gone. You're out there uh, um, on your own. And she's out there on her own, and the Lord comes to her. Okay? This is here for you and me. And the Lord says, Hagar, what are you doing? Isn't that great? And she says, um, you know, uh, my, my mistress kicked me out and I'm just trying to figure it out. And God comes and says, listen, don't worry about it. I'm with you. I'm going to make a great nation out of your son too. Go back and I'll iron everything out. And Hagar says this. She names the spot and she uses this transliterated Hebrew, but she says, you are the God who sees me. Bear, lay, high, row. You are the, let me tell you why that story is there. It's there for you. It's there for me, Right? God sees you. God knows you. God does not share our limitations. He doesn't get tired. He doesn't get angry in the way that you and I do. He doesn't lack understanding. He gives, he's there for you and I to meet in our limitations. The stars, by the way, verse 26. Let me tell you something. It's an analogy. God didn't care about stars. He cares about people. That's what he's trying to say to you. And look at one other quick verse to me. Jesus will say the same thing. Matthew 26. I'm sorry, Matthew 6, 26. The great sermon on anxiety, right? 
I, 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 if I hear one more, you know, radio program or television documentary program about anxiety in our culture, uh, you know, uh, it's not just something that happened. It's become a way to talk about our culture. Why is that? Because we're doing things we were never designed to do and we're worrying about things we're not supposed to be worrying about. The, one of Jesus' greatest sermons on this subject, just one verse, Matthew 6, 26. He's trying to teach us something. Same thing Isaiah, uh, the, 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 the Lord saying in Isaiah. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. They do not sow or reap. That is, they don't go to work every day. They're not worrying about things, what he's saying. Or store away in barns, right? They don't have a 401k, okay? And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Now, does God really care about birds? That's not the point of this passage. Are you not much more valuable than they? You see, the same problem the, the, the Israelites had in the 7th century is the same problem the disciples had. They needed to be reintroduced to who God was, right? God didn't care about the stars, the hundred billions of them. And he's not that worried about birds. He says it's about you. But the question is this. Do you believe that? Is that the God that you serve, right? A God that has no limits, who doesn't get tired, who doesn't get bored with your prayer requests, right? He knows the very thoughts and intents of your heart. He is ever with you. David said something, this is a paraphrase, you know, I'm troubled and I sleep, and, but when I awake, you are there with me. Do you believe that? And if you believe that, that God care, knows your name and that he cares about you and that he is with you, how would taking that knowledge change your life? Right? This is the real application, at least of this message. Last point, our limits, this is how this passage ends, point us to God, or they should, right? If we're honest, if we're humble, if, we're, if, we're, if we get it. Our limits point us to God. These last three verses, you want a, little, want a simple application of this brief message? Commit to memory uh, Isaiah 40, 29, 30, and 31. And allow these verses. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up and, and soar like eagles. They'll run and not faint. They will walk, Right? I'll memorize that verse until it gets down into the core of your being, right? This is really the gospel. Our limits teach us the fear of the Lord. And our limits are daily reminders to us that guess what? I don't, not only do I not run the world, I don't run my own life, right? See, so we think that we do, but we don't. Right? We don't. And the longer we keep up that fiction, the longer we will be overly anxious and we will be like that little four-cylinder or eight-cylinder truck moving at one mile an hour. Right? It's a metaphor for our lives because we fail to understand that our limits point us to God. Jen Wilkin, quoting her, when I reach the limits of my strength, I worship the one whose strength never fails. That's, what's, that's the whole point. 
And by the way, that little simple metaphor, which is pointed out here, he gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. He could be talking about any number of issues when he's talking about faith here, but he talks about strength and weakness because this is where we live our lives. He's saying, you really want to know the difference between those who get it and live it out and those who are living in their head and still trying to pull that big house? It's understanding that our limits point us to God. My goodness, we, how much time do I spend or you spend in image management trying to portray to people, to ourselves, that actually we don't have limits? That we, we live this kind of fantasy. We've come to, to, to think that this is what strength means. This is what it means to be even godly is to somehow portray that we don't have limits when the very opposite is the secret of faith. It's coming to a place and realizing the one thing that is true of all, we are defined by our limits, right? We are defined by our limits, and the person who gets it realizes, listen, the God that you serve, no one can compare to him. We don't even have language to compare to him. He never, he has absolutely no limits. I was talking to students recently, we were talking about this issue about prayer, and I, I have a hard time grasping this, but, you know, God, right now, there's 7 billion people on this planet, roughly. God can listen to 7 billion prayers simultaneously without breaking a sweat. Now, I don't get that. I can't really explain that. I hardly believe that in the sense of I'm struggling to appreciate it. But you know what? That's a God that has no limits, right? We got to wake up and realize something. God is not your uncle. He's not your absent father. And he's not Billy Graham or Mother Teresa either. He is nothing, nothing like you. Nothing like me. And you know why that's so good? Because we'll get to this in another message. But you know what? You might say that's a bummer that God is nothing like God doesn't need you. Self-existent. Now that seems like a bummer. God doesn't need me. No, he needs nothing from you. But you know why that's good? Because the people who need something from us or for whom we need something, there are always issues of control at play, right? See, that which we can, can, that which we can uh, control, we think we can manage, right? But you know what? God doesn't need anything from you, right? It's not an issue of control. It's all about his love, uh, for you and your and my response to his love. He needs nothing but our limits. But here's what's so great about this passage. His, his love is all through it. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. He's saying, listen, even the best of natural resources cannot get the job done. That's the point of verse 30. Even youths, right? We live in a culture, it's not a new idea that we worship the young, right? Even youths grow tired and weary, and the young men stumble and fall. The natural resources, the very best that this world has to offer. It's not going to pull that house any faster. But, but, those who hope in the Lord, those who wait on the Lord, they will renew their strength. And he's, this isn't just a shot in the arm. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Okay? So here's my challenge by way of introduction. 
I have to believe that every person in this room has an area in your life or areas in your life where you need to renew your strength. Now, some of you need to start to, it's, you need to kind of, bear, you, need to, you need to, um, you know, uh, resurrect the coffin in a sense because you've so given up on some area in your life. You didn't know you could ask for strength and you forgot that this is really what it means that a limited person, a limited being that would be me and you, we, our faith is transacted on the place of strength, right? That's, how, that's, where, that's where the life of faith is lived. I, I meet God at the place of my, of, my, of my weakness in the place where my strength is run out. Then I worship the God whose strength never fails. So I wonder, right, by way of introduction, where do you need to renew your strength today? In what area of your life? What have you stopped believing in? What have you stopped thinking about that God may have called you to that you can say, God, listen, my limits in this area are, are very clear to me, but I'm going to come to the God who has no limits. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. I thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, we acknowledge with people all over the, the, um, you know, the world, really, and throughout the, 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 the faith uh, community that we worship a God even the best of us it's something less than who you are uh, Lord we have fashioned a God who is perhaps more like us than we want to admit I pray that you would begin a work in our hearts free us from our foolishness from our, our, our control and manipulation even with you, and help us to begin to know and worship um, a God of no limits, a God who is, cannot be compared, who does not share our limits, but who in his limitlessness meets us uh, at the, our ends, that we might know, um, Lord, your strength, that we might, Lord, be renewed in your strength, not our own, that we might soar uh, like an eagle, that we might run, that we might walk and not faint. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.